0: Everyone, and welcome to the Mom Hour. I am Sarah Powers here with Megan Francis. Hey, Megan.
1: Hey, Sarah. How are you doing?
0: I am good. I'm really excited to be bringing everybody a three part series this week on
1: toddler feeding challenges. This is going to be fun. Is that the right word, Megan? Well, I mean, it's going to be a challenge. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) As toddlers are in many, many ways. But um, gosh, I feel like food is one of those things that's it's just like eternal. Like it doesn't really matter what other changes are happening around us societally or whatever toddlers and their interesting ways of eating. Um, shall I say, it's just like a universal theme.
0: It is, it really is. And, um, the way this is going to work is we're here today with you for the first episode in the series, and we're going to be back tomorrow and Friday. So three days in a row kind of looking at this through three different lenses, but as a whole, um, we're just tackling those really pesky toddler feeding challenges, uh, for the rest of the week.
1: Yeah. And I think that, um, this one in particular, is really interesting because we don't really always think about the fact that toddlers are going through a lot of transitions. So there's all these things happening to like in their little bodies and brains right now. And of course that's going to affect not only the way you feed them, but the way they want to eat. So like maybe something like not sitting at the table as long or the high chair as long uh, because they want to get down and walk around or their naps are changing. Like there's just so many things going on that I think sometimes it's hard to kind of differentiate between like, is this just a normal, uh, whatever we call picky eating, or is this just a normal eating thing? Or is there something else going on like developmentally that's just changing everything right now? And then the food is kind of getting caught in the crosshair. So. It's like so much change happening all at once and that cannot help but, you know, affect the way they eat.
0: Right. Yeah. No, you're so right. And I'm glad you brought that up because I do want to kind of when we talk about toddlers in transitions, first of all, I'm laughing because literally that's all toddlers all the time. They're always going through something. um but we're we're acknowledging up front that like you said there are some feeding transitions that are truly about the way they eat like maybe they're going from a sippy to a regular cup or a bottle to a sippy or they want to feed themselves with a fork or with their hands you know those are transitions that have to do with the actual feeding but like you said Megan there are so many developmental transitions that intersect with nutrition and food that you are always if you have a toddler guaranteed you are going through some kind of transition that affects their eating and feeding.
1: Yeah, agreed. And a lot of times um, around that, you know, end of the first year going into the second year time frame is when moms are looking at weaning or at least, um, you know, starting Mm -hmm. to kind of start that process, which changes, of course, everything. They're getting more teeth, which Mm -hmm. makes it possible technically for them to eat different foods. But that doesn't mean they suddenly just know how to do it. So, or are interested in it. I had several toddlers who really didn't care too much about using those chompers to chew on harder foods. Like I knew that they kind of needed to learn, but that doesn't mean they jumped into it teeth first. Um, (laughs) if they sleep longer at night, that is a blessing in so many ways. Um, but sometimes it disrupts like when they're hungry or like the Mm -hmm. last time of night, they're even awake enough to sleep. You might have a toddler who suddenly wants to go to bed at like six 30. Mm-hmm. or you know like some ridiculously early time where you're like wait um I thought we were all going to eat dinner at 7. So I uh, even things like um daycare like switching from the infant room into the toddler room now they're yes. looking around and seeing other toddlers eat the way they eat and maybe do more self-feeding or maybe there's utensils involved um new caregiver situations like everything affects everything.
0: I'll also say that even though we know feeding a new baby and getting used to feeding your newborn and your infant come with many challenges. And so that should be said, but at the same time, there are kind of fewer variables. I would say in that first six to 12 months, um, it's often getting going with breastfeeding or bottle feeding and then a slow introduction of solids. But there's something that seems to happen uh, after that 12 month or 12 to 18 month stage where like, there are so many more, there are more things you could research and read about. There are more seems like to me more um, philosophies out there or strategies you could try. So I think it's, it can be a very overwhelming time for toddler moms too. You might've felt like you just cracked the code on the breastfeeding thing or whatever. It took you six months to figure out with the bottles. And now there's like infinite more variables coming at you.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, we hate to be the spoilers here, but you can't (laughs) count on anything staying the same. And with a toddler, you're going to just be Starting over a lot. And that's just kind of how it goes. So, for this very first episode in this three part series, we're going to specifically dive into some of those transitions and then share some of our best strategies and ideas to make them easier for you mostly, because there's not a whole lot you can do to control your toddler, as we've learned, right?
0: Spoiler alert. Yeah. And we had so much fun putting this together with Baby Center, who is our content partner for the whole series, and with Horizon Organic, our sponsor.
1: Yeah. So, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, Sarah, I don't know about you, but for me, one of the hardest things about feeding my toddlers really centered around worrying that they just weren't getting enough good stuff. So, I mean, for one thing, their stomachs are teeny at that age, right? And it seemed like they were eating maybe a teaspoon of food at a time and the rest just wound up on the floor or like wedged into the front of their diaper somehow. (laughs) And at the same time, their brains were developing at warp speed. And there's all this information coming at me as a mom about how to make sure they had the right nutrition to support all that amazing growth happening in their bodies, it always felt like a lot of pressure to make every bite count. And then, you know, it also coincides
0: with that time in their lives when they're pretty likely to reject anything you put in front of them. So it's definitely a high-pressure situation for parents.
1: So this is where our sponsor, Horizon Organic, is here to be mom's backup while also supporting her growing toddler. Horizon Organic Growing Years is a special line of dairy products just for growing kids at a variety of ages. There's the Growing Years Whole Milk, perfect for those toddlers who are just starting to drink whole milk. And as your child grows, there are other Growing Years products they'll love, including 2% milk, yogurt pouches and dairy smoothies, and shelf-stable-to-go milk boxes. They all contain DHA omega-3 for brain and eye health support, and choline to help transport that DHA to where it needs to go in the body. And they also contain prebiotics, which are really important because they feed the good bacteria in the gut. There's been so much research lately around just how much of an impact gut health has on overall health, and this is really just an easy way to encourage the right balance in your toddler system.
0: I love this solution for busy parents of toddlers who want to pack as much nutrition as they can into each bite or sip, and that growing year's whole milk is especially great for those in-transition toddlers who are at least 12 months old and might be weaning or starting to show some pretty strong food preferences. For my kids, milk was always easy to introduce into their diets in a variety of ways, and having those extra nutrients and prebiotics makes this a great option, especially for toddlers whose diet is mm, maybe a little limited in other ways.
1: All Horizon Organic products are certified USDA organic, and their Growing Years line was developed in partnership with pediatricians. You can find out more about all the Growing Years products, including Growing Years Whole Milk, at horizon.com slash years. Again, that's horizon.com slash years.
0: So, Megan, I realize we could have people listening today who are eager for toddler feeding strategies, but might not be familiar with you and me and our families. So let's just put it out there that together, collectively, not together, we have raised eight humans through toddler feeding challenges and transitions. That is
1: that is something to be said. That is something. And all of them ate enough. To sustain themselves during that time, they're so all upright. That's the good and, news, and walking around on two yes. legs, and yep, yep, and none of them have scurvy, to my knowledge.
0: <laughs> so to my there, knowledge, thereby are our qualifications, <laughs> friends, for talking about it. But no, really, um, I think what we hope in this series is if nothing else, to validate some of the challenges that you're going through and to kind of give you give you our hindsight look at, you know, what things maybe made life easier on mom or might've helped get a little more nutrition in throughout the day, but with like a big heaping dose of validation that you're not alone. And, and this is a, a tough time for feeding kids.
1: It really is. And I think that, you know, in addition to all the transitional things that we talked about that are affecting all of that, like I remember being really... Um, really worried about them learning what, what I thought of as bad habits. And I'm putting that in like huge air quotes right now, because I think that moms in general really worry a lot about like making our kids learn bad habits in all kinds of ways Yeah, when sort of, it's not really our, uh, responsibility or like, that's not really what's happening. I guess. Um, it's like if we're just rolling with the punches, we're not necessarily establishing things that are going to stick with them for the rest of their lives. So I just want to kind of put that out there. Right. Um, but some of those are kind of tied to some of these transitions that we're talking about. Some of them can be really um, loosely organized under the heading of picky eating, which we're going to dive into in much more detail in episode two. But like, I feel like some of them are picky eating adjacent or they Mm -hmm. get mistaken for each other. So I'll just throw a few out. Um, Things like letting toddlers graze instead of sitting down for full meals. I know that got a lot more challenging for me in my kid's second year of life because suddenly Mm -hmm. they had stuff to do. Right. And they knew they could walk and there were things to, there's places to go. It wasn't as easy to distract them anymore. It's like, they got a little smarter and that didn't always Mm -hmm. work out for me. Um, sometimes I would allow them to indulge preferences like only white food or only breaded food. Um, which again, sometimes it's kind of, like roped in with picky eating, but really is just so normal for toddlers to have strong preferences and very yeah. developmentally normal, um, as they're kind of moving toward independence and wanting to have a say in things, yeah.
0: have an opinion, uh, like on have everything. an opinion, if you've ever
1: met a toddler,
0: <laughs> you know, it makes sense yeah. that they'd be as opinionated about food as they are about, you know, the shirt that they're wearing or whatever.
1: Yeah. They want control over their environment and that's one way for them to have it. Um, another one I remember, like allowing them to leave the table before the meal was over. And that, you know, that's kind of goes along with that grazing thing, but also it also was kind of part of like, not, uh, me saying they're banging like a rattle on their high chair, wasn't going to do it anymore. Like when they were done, they were done. Right. Um, and then kind of going along with the, having them having preferences falling into that, like, do I make them extra foods? Do I make them different foods from the rest Mm -hmm. of the families eating? Do I allow them to refuse foods? Do I, have to create a perfect rainbow on the plate every time Mm -hmm. I feed them. And and this is not an exhaustive list. And I know that moms listening have their own. um, But I just think it's just good to get out there that those are really universal things that moms of toddlers are going through. And it can feel really complicated to feed them in the quote, right way, unquote, when really you just want to get food in their bellies because you just want to make sure they have what they need. Um, So I feel like there's like almost this tension point well, those yeah. two things are in conflict.
0: Yeah. I think it's really good to name a lot of those things. And if you're a well-meaning first time mom, who's kind of collecting information from your pediatrician and your friends on the quote unquote, like ideal or the how to it, it's a bumpy road to get from there to probably how you and I were by our third kid or fourth or fifth kid where you were Megan, which is like, okay, I kind of see the long game here and I know that this kid needs sustenance and nutrition throughout the day, but that so many of those other things are like you said, developmentally normal and are going to work themselves out in time. And that is a, that is a place that's hard to get to without going through the tension that you're describing. Um, One thing I wanted to mention that I think also creates a lot of natural tension is these developmental transitions we're talking about are really wonderful and important for our kids to go through, but they can almost make it seem like eating or feeding or nutrition goes backwards temporarily. So Mm -hmm. here's an example, um, self-feeding. If you have a kid who really wants to use a spoon or a fork to eat like mom and dad, or really is interested in picking up food and smashing it around and getting that sensory experience. Um, that's great. It's actually quite important. I think for kids to go through that and to, you know, fumble around with the spoon and make a huge mess. Oh my gosh. Like the, I'm picturing the yogurt in the High chair and all that but <laughs> oh my gosh. Think in about the cracks, it. yes, yeah, exactly, but if you've been doing like organic veggie purees and that baby that whatever let's say they're fourteen months old has been getting like a lot of green veggies because you've been able to spoon feed purees or do some pouches or whatever, you might feel like, oh my gosh, our green veggies are going backwards because we're in this phase where this kid wants to feed himself or herself all the time, and I just. I mean, my personal opinion is that that's kind of natural and okay. So to keep nutrition as a top priority at like a tip, tip, top priority and to let them go through these necessary developmental phases is really, really hard. And so I think that perspective of zooming out on nutrition and understanding that, you know, there are ways for them to get what they need in the course of a week or a month, but it might feel like you're losing a little bit of control on nutrition as you allow them to experience that independence.
1: You know, when you're talking about this, I'm thinking back to when my toddlers um, were first able to self-feed. I remember one, and and they could handle um, foods that weren't as mushy and that Mm -hmm. weren't pureed and they could, you know, chew, which is important for eating um, lots of non-pureed foods, right? (laughs) So I remember that a lot of them really liked like the mixed veggie blends and you could just Mm -hmm. have them. And what was great is you could have them in the freezer and then you would just thaw as many as you needed for one little feeding. So I really relied on those for quite some time with all of my toddlers. And I remember one in particular getting really, like this little guy would get so excited about them. It was Owen, by the way. He'd get so excited about them. (laughs) And I thought, okay, he loves this. It's so great. He's eating his vegetables. And then one day I realized he was only eating the corn and literally everything else was (laughs) ending up on the floor. But it was all smashed, like beyond recognition. And the reason like I couldn't even really tell what was left at the end of the feeding like that wasn't the corn. I just saw him totally cherry picking the corn. But to your point, Sarah, he was getting value out of eating the corn, smashing the peas, like (laughs) kind of sticking his nail into the carrot. You know what I mean? Like squashing it and throwing it on the ground. Like he was learning about tastes and textures and colors and all of those things that go along with food. He just really preferred the corn. And I had to kind of decide that was okay. I wanted him to have all of it. But right then, that wasn't really his his priority. And the lima beans, I don't even think he touched those. Like, I don't even think he played with those. He just kind of like scooched them off to the side.
0: I feel like um, they don't even always <laughs> include the lima beans anymore. They don't in always. That. Can I confess yeah. something really quick? Yeah, go ahead. I would just throw that stuff out on the high chair. Uh, tray without thawing it. I gave it to my kids frozen because frozen, the, yeah. yeah. And as long as it wasn't chokeable, depending on the size or right. because first of all, that was a sensory interesting thing to them. Um, sometimes it felt good on their fingers or good. And I did a lot of frozen blueberries from the freezer too. We did because, a lot of frozen
1: blueberries too. Yeah. Yep.
0: Because they're less messy. Once they start to thaw, it's like purple ink everywhere. But I did, I sometimes did the frozen, frozen peas, I think by themselves. I'm not sure if I did them medley frozen, but, um, yeah, funny. Well,
1: that's funny. I actually remember in one of the mom groups I was in, someone giving that advice to give kids who are really like, and we can dive into this more in the next episode, but who were really, um, who didn't like vegetables, frozen vegetables, because, quote, they just taste like frozen, which is yeah. so true. They don't really taste like vegetables. They just taste like ice balls, right? Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is, by the time Clara came along and was a toddler, we had a dog and then all bets are off. You have no idea what your kids ate. Yeah. If yep. you have a dog. They just throw it and the dog gets sort of like, they learn how to slide it off the side. Anyways, I think that one of the tension points is that we're worried, like you said, sometimes the nutrition starts to go backward and we don't really know what we're worried about. Like, are we right. really worried about getting the right foods in their bodies today? Or are we worried about them one day being good eaters? Mm. So those are very different concerns with very different cures. Um I think most of us who are living in like, you know, these day and ages, like we have so many options when it comes to making sure our kids have enough like literal nutrients that we probably don't have to be quite as worried about them getting the rickets or scurvy or whatever, (laughs) um, like that they may have had to worry about in times past. Um, but we, but it is like very legitimate to have that in one side of your head. And then the other side to be thinking, but I want them to grow up to be adventurous with food. And I want them to grow up to try new things. And I want them to to grow up, to be able to put food in their face with a spoon and not like throw it all over the room and just sit at the table. And I guess I would just point out that those are, those are all different goals and they don't all have to happen when you've got a 16 month old, like you have time to work on those table manners and table skills. And Um, for them to become more interested in eating. And it's probably not going to look the way you hope it's going to look now.
0: A hundred percent. And if you have a friend group or a peer group where you're seeing four and five-year-olds or eight and nine-year-olds or teenagers, um, it can can be very easy to get into that loop of like, okay, this is my shot to somehow produce a well-balanced eater who's also polite at the table and you know, all of that. But we can tell you that there, none of these things gets focused on in a vacuum away from the others. It's a very messy and nonlinear path to having, you know, a family of big kids who sit around the table. So I would just caution people to not apply standards for a kid who's maybe even a year older than yours to your kid, because that kid who's a year older than yours has gone through that same winding path. And it's just there are so there's so much difference between a eighteen month old and a twenty four month old and a two and a half year old even in when we're talking about this. So, okay, so we have talked about how much change is happening around feeding in the early years. and just for moms, how hard it can be to ride out those developmental stages and just how complicated it can get when you, when you also bring in these things like table manners or schedules or, you know, specific pickiness that we'll dig into in tomorrow's episode. Um, so I guess just like a huge, like, yes, this is a lot. This is hard.
1: It is. And, um, our friends at baby center did a poll where they asked, um, their community, this very specific question. And I, and I wonder I was not particularly surprised by these results, but I'm wondering if this might be validating to moms of toddlers, especially maybe their first toddler who are listening right now. So the question was, how often does your toddler change when, where, what, or how much they eat? And 52% of the respondents said weekly, Mm -hmm. 17% said monthly, 19% said every few months, and then 11% said other. And Sarah, you and I both conjecture (laughs) that that's probably daily. Yeah. More than than every other day. Hourly. -hourly. Yeah. Hourly.
0: (laughs) That's so true. That's so true. I mean, that is enough to make a mom crazy. You go to the grocery store. We were just talking to Morgan on our team who has a toddler and a baby. And she was saying how she likes to buy things at Costco, but that doesn't work because you buy 36 hummus containers and then guess who doesn't (laughs) like hummus next week. So, right. Right. Yeah. That's that's enough to make you crazy. Um, so I guess we're going to get into offering some specific tips here. And I think the first tip again is just to know how normal it is to be feeling constantly like a rug has been pulled out from under you. So I guess, yeah, my, my tip number one is know that what you're going through is normal and hopefully find some perspective that it's not, it's not your fault and it will get better.
1: Yeah. And I think it also is really helpful to look at things through a global or historical perspective sometimes. So you know, most of the people listening to this episode right now are, if not American, then probably living in the Western world. Um, and we're all living in the modern world. Um, however that looks for us or wherever we are. And I think that we have to always remember that, like the way it's done here is a construct of like yes. the people around us and our culture and all that. Right. But like, other cultures have been doing things very differently for millennia and other cultures right now are doing things differently. And if you went back 50 or a hundred years, the norms around eating would be different. And I guess it's not to say one culture is better or worse than any other. Um, I do think the American food culture has some unique issues (laughs) that go along with it that I won't dive into too much here, but it's just sometimes we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be perfectly like to be perfect about food when I don't even know that we really know what that is. It changes Mm -hmm. a lot. It really depends on who you're talking to. Um, People have very different philosophies about so many things. And and you could find someone right now who believes that not only is the way you're feeding your kids fine, but it's the right way that it's the ideal way. Um, And I could do the same no matter how different it is. Like you can find experts and people all day long who will like agree with you. And I I think it's just really important to remember that we're seeing when we see things held up as an ideal or we hold them up as our own ideal, like there's a lot of factors at play there. Um, And so like, let's not get too wrapped up in that.
0: I, I totally agree. And I think we're gonna talk through some of these common pain points here. And that perfectly sets up one of our first like hand ringy things we worry about as moms of toddlers. And that is, an appetite that seems to fluctuate or a kid who who grazes all the time, but like won't eat three squares a day or doesn't want to eat when the rest of the family eats. And as you were talking, I was thinking that is very much a construct of the way we have grown up and the way we've been told that it's good to eat. And even in our lifetimes, Megan, the the whole like five small meals throughout the day. No, just kidding. Intermittent fasting and
1: like one, <laughs> one big, meal wait, wait, a day. go back to three squares. Wait a yep. second. Eat once a day. Yes. It's yes. It is really all over the place. Yes. And, and that's even for, that's just for adults. So when we consider right. our
0: growing, moving, developing toddlers, um, I don't think as a mom of toddlers, it didn't bother me too much when my kids were grazers. I just tried to make sure that the things I was offering for grazing kind of covered a variety of different food groups. And I don't just mean like the classic food groups, but that, you know, if they needed to eat throughout the day or not wanted snacks and we're going to get into meals and snacking actually in Friday's episode in more detail, but um, that didn't bother me so much, but I did have a kid who whose appetite seemed to go not in swings throughout the day, but almost like two or three days of eating nothing. And then two or three days of eating, a ton. And this is as like an older Mm. toddler or preschooler. And we'd look at each other, Brian and I, and we'd be like, Oh, Reed's having an eating day. Cause he was a very light eater and he was okay with his doctor. He was not underweight. I was not medically concerned. So I just had to trust that he would eat very little for quite a while, maybe even a week. And then he'd, he'd go on this, like, I don't know, is it like a hunter gatherer ancestry? I was going to say, he sounds
1: like a caveman. He was caveman eating. Yes. But you know, nowadays there are entire foods, um, you know, schools of thought that that is the way we're naturally meant to eat, that we're not really this whole idea of us taking in the same number of calories day after day. is kind of like we made that up. It's not like our bodies were created that way. So I think he was just being a little just a little caveman. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I I just kind of tried to to uh, roll with that one and not let it stress me out too much.
1: Yeah. Imagine if, you know, if Reed had been had had like caught a buffalo. He would have to eat the whole thing in yeah. two days or go bad. Then he'd probably didn't eat for two days. Exactly. You know, maybe grab some berries, um, <laughs> like pick some leaves. Yeah. So, yes, that's a great one. Another one that I think um, I think parents who want to raise polite kids have a really hard time with this one. Mm-hmm. Um, And I even though there are many things I'm very relaxed about, politeness and like food manners is one of those things I can sometimes have kind of a hang up about. So uh-huh. for me, being wiggly at the table or not wanting to sit um for very long was kind of a hard toddler thing for me to deal with yeah. and where i finally kind of came to with it was that it was okay for me to have some expectation like 5 minutes mm-hmm. like we're going to all sit here for 5 minutes and whatever i have to do to make that interesting on this toddler um or even if they're not interested and they're wiggling and squirming they're still going to sit there they're not you know they're not tortured for 5 yeah. minutes but maybe my expectation that dinner was going to be a 45 minute affair with a you know 16 month old was just setting myself up for uh, misery. So yeah. I think it's in those, it, it's very normal. And I think the tip is just, it's okay. If that's a, if that's a strong value for you, it's okay to have expectations around that. You just might want to make those expectations manageable or shift the time of day. Yeah. Figure out how to make it workable so they can learn the skill without, you know, making you want to cry. Right. Exactly. Um, I was thinking about my
0: especially my one year old toddlers. I'm just picturing where I was at that stage in the kitchen I had. And I would drag the high chair into the kitchen while I was making and preparing dinner. And that's probably when I was throwing frozen blueberries or frozen peas on their tray. So if you think about it, they had been actually in and out of the high chair as a place to contain them while I made dinner already. So to then expect them to continue to sit while we had a meal would not have been tenable in our family. But I'm so glad you brought that up because I, I agree that even with your, you know, older toddlers and preschoolers doing things like playing tea party or make-believe restaurant, mm. like there are so many ways to model and show table manners and stay, you know, and staying put until it's time to get up. And um, I think there's so much more time. You have more time than you think you do. And There are other pressures on moms and dads who are trying to get dinner on the table or feed other children. So I I would agree on that one. It's a, it's a good goal or a totally fine family value around meals to have, but
1: you've got time. You do. And then I guess the other thing I would say about that is, um, even, even the idea of a high chair is a construct, like a very recent one. Right. So, um, I remember lots of times by the time, just like you mentioned, Sarah, by the time dinner was served, my toddlers were kind of over the high chair. So lots of times dinner would be with them sitting on my or dad's knee. Um, and, and often that worked like they're closer. They like, they can touch you. Um, they can kind of be next to you. It's just a little bit of a different experience, but they're still sitting at the table being social and sharing a meal for some period of time. Yes. And then also that makes it a lot easier when you decide it's Okay, for them to get down, just put them down. Yep. Like it's not this big, like rigmarole where you have to like, you haven't get given them off up. the high chair yeah. and you haven't given up. Exactly. It's like, oh, okay, get down and you can go over there for a minute and then come back. And yeah, I just, there's so many ways to kind of be flexible while still uh, scratching that itch and developing that skill.
0: Yeah, totally. Well, let's talk a little bit about strong and oft changing food preferences, which, like you touched on earlier in this episode, is adjacent to picky eating, not maybe not. I think having strong opinions and expressing strong opinions about food is related to picky eating, but it's almost its own developmental behavioral thing. Like you were talking about, like toddlers have strong opinions about things. And I, this was a hard one for me. And it's not because I, it's not because I worried they weren't going to get enough green vegetables or something. It just, It can feel like a personal insult if you have been, Mm -hmm. you know, serving your kids all day in the way that moms serve. And I don't just mean serving food, but, you know, it's it's these are hard years, physically hard and mentally and emotionally exhausting. And so if you are facing a battle of wills about like how the sandwich is cut or whether the crusts are cut off, it can just be really demoralizing. So I'm not sure I have a specific tip on that one, except going back to it's normal. And I think it becomes a lot more about moms, uh, making sure that mom is doing the self-care she needs to be able to weather those storms.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And I will just dovetail because mine is very closely related my next one. And that is, um, food related tantrums, meaning that they, instead of rejecting, well, two things. First of all, any kind of tantrum around foods, whether they don't want what you served or they really, really want more of something you didn't serve. Right. Yeah. Um, But another, so it it can look like rejecting what you worked really hard to make. It can also look like begging for food Mm. or only wanting one thing. And I think I've shared on the podcast maybe once before that Jacob, I mean, this went down in family lore when he was two decided all he wanted to eat was lunch meat. And I was going through this (laughs) thing where it was like, um, Isaac was a little baby and I feel like I was just stuck in the chair nursing all the time. So I had gotten into this. Um, I did, I got out of one of the books I read. I don't remember now which one was to fill ice trays or, um, egg cartons Mm -hmm. with like little snacks and like leave them in the bottom shelf of the fridge. Um, and so there would like, he had learned how to open the fridge. He kind of had to throw his body against it and work really (laughs) hard, but he could get it open. And he um, would go in there and get out his little thing. But I realized he was only eating the little hunks of ham that I'd oh, put it okay. in it in there. He wasn't eating anything else. And so I started to get, I don't know, like I didn't want him eating nothing but lunch meat yeah. all day. And so I can't remember how it got to this point. But I finally like he finally then learned how to like cl- start to climb up to get to the meat. Oh, dear. And so I taped <laughs> like I taped the fridge <laughs> door shut because he was going to hurt himself. Yep. And I remember him laying in front of the fridge just going, meat. <laughs> meat. And he was just like begging me for meat. And I felt bad. But at the moment I also thought, this is it's okay for me to not give in. Like I yeah. don't I can be empathetic, um, but unbothered. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like I can sympathize with him, I can be kind, I don't have to get upset about it, but I also don't have to let his meat issues. Yes. become my mom issues. Yeah. Um, And so yeah, that's how long that that strategy lasted. It was really I just and maybe, you know, maybe I would have done it differently. I bet you by the time like uh, Will came along, he just would have eaten meat and that would have been OK, too. Like right. either way, I was allowed to draw some line in the sand. But mm-hmm. like I just thought I don't want him eating package after package of lunch meat. And now the jig is up. He knows it's in the fridge or it could be. So now he's going to pull up the, um, tr- uh, the drawer out on his head. So um, yeah. anyway, just things that you learn. Things- and I think that my only piece of advice is it's okay for you to be unruffled. Yes. And I don't know how, if that even makes sense. Like- no,
0: it, it doesn't actually, <laughs> yeah. it kind of gave me this little light bulb, which is we tend to separate, um, to- I mean, you and I have a mom podcast that we've had for six years. And when we think about topics and categories, we kind of put feeding a family and food in its own silo of topics, but really there's so much overlap between feeding and, um, I guess I'll loosely say discipline. I don't really think about it as discipline, but behavior, behavior modeling and dealing with tricky behaviors, because what you described as a power struggle that also could happen with the iPad or like the, the nap refusing to sleep. So I think um, maybe if there's a tip nestled in there, it's that, um, as a mom, you get to decide and you get to do your research and listen to all the podcasts and read all the books and kind of decide what parenting style feels good to you and works with you and your kid. And then that should hopefully, you know, uh, like extend right into food parenting. And I, until you told that story, I kind of, I was thinking of them as separate, but there's so much overlap.
1: Well, I would like you to know that, yes, that is so true. Like uh, food is not in its own category. Like all the things that you bring to parenting and, and discipline and all those things all relate because it's all like one and the same. Yep. And I also just want to make it, I just want to let everyone know that I did not have to keep the tape on the fridge door for that long. Nope. He kind of got over it. Because eventually. he was in a transition. So <laughs> he, went, he transitioned and then he probably wanted pudding or something. I don't remember what it was, but whatever. He he'd gotten over meat he and meat had a, you know, falling out and then he got over meat by like a week or two later. So um, I'm sure he had just moved on to some other obsession. So
0: funny. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, as we wrap up this first episode in our toddler feeding challenges series, we want to thank our content partners over at baby center and our sponsor horizon organic.
1: Yes, definitely check the show notes wherever you're listening now for more about both baby center and horizon organic. And you can find out more about all the growing years products, including growing years, whole milk, at horizon.com slash growing years. Again, that's horizon.com slash growing years.
0: All right, everyone check back with us tomorrow. And like we said, we'll be back with an episode all about feeding picky toddlers, a big topic.
1: Oh boy. Yes, it is. We will talk to you then. The Mom Hour is supported by partners like Erica. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code themomhour. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's erica with a K, E R I K A dot A P P, and use code themomhour to save 20%. The Mom Hour is brought to you by the Essential Calendar. Sarah, this is our favorite calendar for busy moms because its beautiful and simple design shows around three months at a time.
0: Yeah. And with summer fast approaching now is a great time to get the essential calendar and see what I've been raving about all these years. Get 10% off your order at the essential slash the mom hour. That's 10% off at the essential slash the mom hour.